Well, it doesn't matter. You're, you're still being uh, executed. Oh, yeah. Damn. I, I see we run a tight ship. Yes. I'm walking to New Mexico really right cool. now. Okay. This okay. is the Micro Machines podcast. And today's episode is on the Char B1. Callum, you're going to have to edit this out. (laughs) (laughs) Callum, calling on you. Oh, God. At least I can edit this bit out. That's good. Yeah. Alrighty. So today, we're going to break down uh, the why the Sharpie 1 existed, what it is, some things about it, and then we're going to uh, show off some of our works in progress. Get hype. There we go. I'm back. You need to get better at the silence thing. Now we're just making the silences long enough that they can be added out, you see? It's all part of the plan. Uh, yeah. We're making it easy. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, you gotta make my life easier. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said you took out like 10 minutes of just dead silence in the last one, right? Yeah, it was 10 minutes. It's gonna be a lot longer now. Yeah. This podcast oh, no, is gonna make... be three hours long with five hours we're of silence. Make Dennis... We're just gonna make <laughs> Dennis do the uh, intro again. It's fine. I can cut this whole <laughs> thing out and just make him redo it. I mean, yeah, you can do that. It's still going to be on YouTube. Okay. Oh, boy. So. So. We're in it. We're in the podcast now. Okay. Uh, yes. So, I figured before we actually talk about the Shari B1, it might be important to talk about French tanks in general and how they came to be and maybe how that, like, led to the doctrine that would eventually support the Shari B1's development and then use so who here knows anything about the first world war i do a little bit yeah. how they yeah, go for the here. french Ooh. oh they got steamrolled a little yeah that's a complicated question so this is germany right around here these red arrows represent the german advance these blue arrows basically represent like the French advance throughout various parts of the war, as well as built up French regions. Uh, someone here mentioned it did not go well for the French. Well, not at first. Yeah. So, as I recall, the French lost a significant percentage of their male population during the, fir- the First World War. And... Really, they were getting steamrolled right until the arrival of, you know, huge amounts of manpower from the Entente, as well as, and I think, you know, this is glossing over history a bit, but when the tank began to show up like this FT-17 here, that began to change things, right? Yeah, a bit. Yeah, well, you know, the nice thing about the FT-17 was that it had a lot more off-road ability, which allowed it to basically go through areas where it was harder for infantry to navigate. Right. Uh, it was proof against a lot of small arms fire, you know, say machine gun fire, right? And it even had some offensive ability. And it was actually the first tank of the war that had, like, this modern layout where you have your hull, 
but you also have a turret that can rotate 360 degrees. Mm. And this is something that basically most tanks have copied ever since then. Are you telling me that they finally learned what not to do with the Saint-Chamond? Nah, Saint-Chamond <laughs> was amazing, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at that camo scheme. That's just... Oh, yeah. So, the French would eventually be part, be part of the nations that won the First World War. I think probably the tanks' development contributed to a certain degree for that, but it wasn't, you know, obviously, like, the decisive factor. However, yeah. however, this man here, General Astion, um, in the 1920s, he, he's basically known as the father of French tanks. And in the 1920s, he basically began to research how tanks might be used on the future battlefields, basically as a force multiplier for the army, which led to him beginning to consider the concept of uh, Char du Bataille. And I, even despite my limited French language education, I'm still butchering that name. But basically, his idea was that you could have a battle tank, such as perhaps these ones, that could be used um, basically as their own independent branch of the French armed forces that could basically support infantry, um, attack objectives, do tank things. So kind of like the T-14. Yes, kind of like the T-14. Which was also a tank. Was well, Definitely. Nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the 1920s, he basically helps the French army develop a requirement for this new battle tank design, right? And the idea with it is, like, we, in hindsight, might call it a heavy tank? Sort of an assault tank? It, it was meant to do a lot of things, right? Right. Now, to gloss over a lot of the development for it, basically, you have one company that really emerges as, like, a front runner in this competition for... You know, for this battle tank to fulfill the requirement, and that's Renault. So Renault, basically in the 1920s and then later in the 1930s, begins developing these prototypes for the, the battle tank. So these are three pictures of some of the battle tank designs, some of the prototypes. Um, and as you can see, this was the earliest one. Then we go to this one. So this is the prototype D101. This is D-102, and then this is D-103. And as you can see, they progressively look more and more like the Shara B-1 um, with each iteration. That's a weird gun on the third one. What is that? This one? You know? uh, I think that is yeah. a 37 millimeter. I can't say for sure. Yeah, but those uh, those are nice looking World War One tracks right there. Well, that's yeah. one thing we're going to have to talk about. So, this is basically what these the prototypes have evolved into, which is the Char B One, and these three tanks are all Char B Ones of various types. Um, so right off the bat, these tanks were for their time period pretty large, and they have a lot of design features that were basically the products of lessons learned during the First World War. So one thing you might notice about these tanks is they are a lot longer than they are wide. And one of the ideas behind this was that it meant that they could better cross trenches. This is actually one of the reasons why they have these almost like paddle tracks, because I'll give them the improved off-road mobility. They also have the hull gun, which 
we'll cover in a, a few later slides. And basically the idea with that was that it allowed it to not only act as field mobile artillery, but it also in theory could allow it to fire into a trench. Um, and yeah, mm -hmm. like many interwar tanks, it also had the ability to tow a fuel or ammunition trailer. Which we all know was such a success. Yes. Hey, I'm not just a bomb at the back of your tank. Well, as we've uh, seen on the Discord, uh, there's definitely been at least one Sherman with a Calliope rocket launcher, a 17-pounder, a crocodile trailer, and a uh, mine flail. The crab. Yeah, crab. yeah the, crab. the crab. Maybe not the best design ever, but it looks cool, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah it looks really metal. You unload it from the LST. And it drives straight to Berlin. Oh. Nothing stops it. Yeah. Okay, so I guess, you know, the first like hard factor we should talk about is the mobility of this tank. Because that was actually one of its stronger suits. So I've got some images here to cover just the basic aspects. I guess the first thing we should talk about is that it had this 310 horsepower engine. Just your standard uh, diesel. Um, it was generally, the tank was pretty underpowered. It did not have a good power to weight ratio, but it still was, oh, I, I think it was still able to do, you know, just above walking pace. And if it really was cranking it up, it could go, you know, 30 kilometers an hour. So it didn't have terrible mobility. Um, certainly for, not for what it was basically you know, used for, which at the end of the day, um, in many cases, it was used for supporting the, you know, the infantry or assaulting slow moving objectives. So it wasn't bad. Um, another thing is, it, of, of course, these tracks, these, you know, model tracks, but these are accurate to the real thing. So the idea of these was basically very much inherited from the design lessons of the First World War. I mean, you can see, you know, more of a, you know, more than a passing resemblance to some of the track designs that came out of that period. Uh, basically, the idea here was that they would, in theory, be pretty good at moving through mud. Although, I don't know how effective they were in real life. Those are those the uh, Tamiya links. They are the Tamiya links. Yep. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, so Get probably that. more reliable than the actual ones. Hey, I've built them. <laughs> those things did not come apart. You could not detrack a Tamiya Sherby one. Um, and that here's a pretty good image of one. It's a, a B1 uh, Bis in captured German service. Looking very very pretty. Yes. Didn't the um yeah, very bold. Didn't they have problems with the engine, uh, with the lubricants? Oh, they had. I think loads they... of issues. I mean, it was a French yeah. tank in the early war. Yeah, but I think one of them was they used um castor oil, but it was a specific type. It wasn't your just run of the mill castor oil, except the manuals for the crews didn't specify that it's no, it's uh -oh. not this. It's not a generic castor oil. So it's this special one. They just called it the same name. So the tank crews would just fill it up with standard castor oil and then just ruin the engine. But oh, it's that's like, well, they, nice. Yeah, they were, they were told, oh, yeah, we put castor oil in, but they didn't mention the fact that it was a uh, different, it was actually a different oil altogether. So they just chucked in regular castor oil and screw the engine. That's like AK Interactive telling me that I can uh, thin their real color slacker paints oh. with acrylic thinner for my airbrush <laughs> and then completely gumming it up. <laughs> Pretty you much. Should, same, yeah, same you thing. should sue them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me one new Iwana Neo. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, uh, one thing about this tank was that in general, it did not have the best uh, suspension. I mean, you think of tanks like, for argument's sake, the M18 Hellcat, right, which used torsion bar suspension later in the war. And you could see that it had a fair amount of suspension travel, so which gave it pretty good off-road mobility. But if you look at this diagram here of the suspension design uh, for this tank, it doesn't have a lot. So I do believe that like occasionally what you would have is if you see these side skirts here, or you know not skirts, but you know the side panels. Sometimes over rough ground, the tank would the tracks would literally bash right into it. So, yeah, not the best off-road mobility, primarily because of suspension. Well, that's actually pretty interesting because you said it was designed to cross trenches and to go over, um, tr yeah, obstacles like trenches and stuff. So that's a pretty bad design flaw, right? I can just see the whole tank just bouncing around, you know, no suspension, softening it, just the whole thing just jumping up and down. <laughs> yeah. Just bottoming it all the time. So one cool thing, though, I think you guys might be interested in was... Uh, you know, with regards to mobility is actually the uh, transmission. So one thing about the Cherubi one is if you look at the 75mm gun in the hull, it has no horizontal tra uh, traverse, right? So the there was no gunner, per se, for the hull gun. The gunner was actually the driver. So the idea here was basically that the, the transmission for this tank, and I, I can't really get into say the technical details, but basically it was made in such a way, and it was pretty over-engineered and pretty complex, but it would allow the driver to actually use, um, you know, these two uh, handles for driving normally, or he could actually, when on, when the tank was moving too quickly, he could actually use a steering wheel for mm -hmm. fine-tuning the direction of the tank using this transmission, which basically meant that he could aim the hull gun. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm not actually sure how often that feature was used, but probably more than once. And then in terms of the armor protection, I, I can't find a diagram of the actual armor on the internet, but I know that at least one of us has the B1 fired up on War Thunder right now. Me, yep. Yeah, right. So the nice. armor protection of the B1 was actually pretty decent, especially for its day, especially on the front, uh, especially when you consider that the main uh, opponent it was facing, at least from you know an anti-tank gun perspective, was the PAC-37. Uh, so it, it was it was pretty well armored, and like the Matilda uh, tank that we can see here, um, there is at least one case for each tank where they actually just drove right over anti-tank guns instead of engaging them directly. <laughs> um, they were well armored, uh, very much so. And a lot of German anti-tank rifles at the time were basically unable to do anything but, you know, break its track links. Well, yeah, it turns out just by all of the uh, engine problems and the messing with the oil and stuff, uh, makes a really good War Thunder vehicle. Yeah. yeah. Basically just a bunker. With two guns. Bunker with two guns. Well, to a certain extent, that was what the uh, 75 was for, that the tank would basically just sit there and start be, more or less be used like field artillery. Yeah. Or just like a moving match, you know. Yeah, kind of. 
And that did play into the doctrine of how it was used a bit. Move Imaginal line with cool camo. Yes. So, I guess now we're talking about everyone's favorite, but the armament of the tank. So, the, uh, the main gun of the tank was not actually what was on the turret. The main armament was the 75mm hull gun, of which we can see a profile and side view here. Um, this was a relatively low-velocity cannon. It was adapted from a field, uh, field gun that was used during the First World War. Um, mm. Basically, yeah, it, it was fixed with no traverse onto the front armor of the tank. The it was served by a loader, and then it was actually a, you know aimed by the driver who had the ability to control the elevation, as well as the traverse, as we discussed before. It could fire high explosive rounds, armor piercing rounds, I believe, to a certain extent, as well as armor piercing high explosive rounds. Uh, but the latter two uh, rounds were not very effective, so the, most of the time it was carrying high explosive. Just out of like curiosity, do you? Th I might have missed this before, but um, do you think the Americans, when they were making the M3 Lees, like, you know, looked at the Sharpie one and thought like, oh, this is a good idea? Uh, I'm not actually sure, and like, I'm not an expert on the uh, the M3, but. With the B1, what you have is basically the 75mm gun was actually the original intended armament of the tank. Mm. Right? The turret was only supposed to carry machine guns originally. But yeah. the uh, the 75 it, really, for all intents and purposes, you can almost think of the way that the shard was originally going to be used as being sort of like the Stug. Where with the Stug, you have very limited traverse on the, the gun. It's mm -hmm. sort of a uh, similar doctrine with the Shar B1. But I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't influence the design of the Lee, at least, you know, superficially. Right. Although it was nice that the Lee it had was sort traverse. Of, sort of to be used as, like, I don't know if you've seen those, like, late war concepts with, like, E-50s, but it also has, like, another gun on top. I have never seen that. Is that something from Trumpeter? Uh, no, like I've just seen drawings of it, but I'm sure Trumpeter would be the company to do something like that. But, okay. um, yeah, it's like 50, but with like around the cupola, there's like a bit of a, like, it's more than just a machine gun type of thing. It's like another second can and that can run 360, that type of thing. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. So there was a 75mm gun, right? Now, originally, it was expected that the turret for the tank, because they generally did anticipate there would be a 360-degree rotating turret on the top of it, they originally thought it would have two 13mm machine guns, right? But as the years progressed, and as the French recognized that the Germans were developing you know, heavier and heavier armor, uh, they began to realize that they would have to have some sort of anti-tank armament for the tank because really the 75 millimeter gun is not very effective if the tank can't literally traverse itself as fast as you know the tank that's you know maneuvering around it right mm -hmm. so in the they have these cast turrets made for them and basically originally they have the short i want to say 47 millimeter gun and that's basically how you can tell a b1 apart from the b1 bis which is its you know upgraded model um, the B1s have the short 47, 
in this turret, whereas the B1 uh, Abyss tanks, which are basically the you know, the tank killer version, they have the longer uh, SA-35. And this is a, you know, a profile of it here, as you know, this is one off of a B1 Abyss. As you can see, um, it's got a shoulder stock for the commander. <laughs> yeah. I always like that. Stabilized. Ooh. So where does where does the B1 tear fit in? Well, we're gonna get to that. So I guess you know okay. the B1 basically was shown to be more or less ineffective at fighting tanks. Basically, more or less because it had too short of an anti-tank gun, right? It just wasn't really able to defeat the armor. So the B1 BIS is an improved model of it. And really the main difference between the two, the B1 BIS had a better radio system, but it may, the main thing was it had a better anti-tank gun, right? So the most famous, you know, Shara B1 would probably be this one, uh, Yure, because in Ston, it fought a almost the entire an entire German Panzer company, and it knocked out quite a few of them. Um, funnily enough, though, it was only there because it was separated from the rest of its unit because the B1s had such poor ability to communicate in between themselves and even in the you know between the crews uh, that basically the driver was just driving forward even as the commander was telling him to stop and they drove <laughs> right into a German Panzer company. Isn't that also on YouTube by a guy called Janhoff or something? He makes animations. I think he made one about the Chavi Wampus defeating the whole German company. But I might be wrong about that. No, you're probably right. It is a pretty I famous think I've story. Seen that. Yeah, but this hmm. is basically sort of you know widely regarded as the definitive B1 model. Sure. However, there were some issues, and I guess now we get to all uh, collectively crap on this design. Woohoo. Okay, so what can we all like think of were some issues with this tank? Well, engine problems. Yeah. Maneuverability. Yeah. Everyone's overworked to hell. It'd be important to note that there were only four people in this tank. You've got the driver. Oh. If you like the driver, you not only have to drive the tank, you also have to aim the cannon. Right. You know, take your com your orders. If you're the commander, you have to command the tank, load the gun, and fire it, as well as manage your machine gun. Mm -hmm. The loader for the well, 75 and yeah. the radio operator had a pretty easy time, though. Wait, so did the driver, um, you know, actually have to aim the 76? Yep. 75? He literally did. So oh, that so he oh, so he had the sight. I don't know what the sight on this gun actually was, to be quite honest. I haven't seen a picture of it. Like, I know the driver is the one who would, like, point it, but, like, point it at the target, but who would actually, you know, dial the range of fire? There, oh, I'm going into the uh, War Thunder X-Ray to <laughs> get another look at this. You know, Ezra, I don't even know if it did have a sight. Oh, it had, uh, you know, um, it had basically like, a, you know, um, an elevation ruler for lack of a better term, like, you know, uh, an angle mm -hmm. calculator. Right. So if you were firing indirectly, you could figure out, okay, well, we need to fire it at this angle and it could be elevated to that. But as far as direct fire, I don't actually remember seeing a site for it. Huh. Be tuned. 
They were, maybe they were just looking for the burial and then um load the shell and just by you know looking for the burial to see if it would hit the target. That would be a oh, very fresh yeah, thing maybe. to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that would work, I guess. Um one of the other problems with these tanks was basically, as I mentioned before, how they communicate, right? So for ba there were base there was no intercom, right, for the crew. So mm -hmm. one of the things was the engine was loud, right? So communicating in, in and amongst the crew was already pretty hard. But for most tanks, they didn't actually have a radio, especially for the original B1. They still had, were reliant right. on flags, you know, signal flags mostly for communication. And when it came to the radio, there were two types. So all the original tanks were equipped with a radio that was more or less Morse code. You know, it, it was basically mm -hmm. a telegraph radio, which is okay if you're just sitting still and you're communicating, you know, across a longer distance, but you can't speak through it, right? So if you're in battle, right. I mean, it's kind of useless. So a, a few tanks, oh, actually more than a few tanks uh, that were of the B1 BIS standard received a better radio, which basically permitted voice communication uh, between tanks. So that mm. was good. But the problem was uh, the engine noise. The engines were so loud that the they couldn't actually, you know, the radio signals could not actually be heard. So a lot of Ooh. tanks actually retained their older telegraph type radios just because they could actually, you know, at least read mm -hmm. the, the instructions. So, yeah. Yeah, the, ra yeah, the radio operators uh, sitting right next to the engine. Literally right yeah. next to the engine, yeah. Actually, interesting. Um, there's ammunition, like, just on the floor right next to the engine. I'm guessing there's a firewall there, but still. Well, like, I'm... the floor is just lined with ammunition. Yeah. Well, as we can see, I mean, you know, as well armored and as ferocious looking as the B1 was, off, quite a few of them got knocked out. And, you know, more than a few were knocked out just by, you know, ditching themselves or getting stuck. Mm -hmm. Getting hauled yeah, away by German tractors. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like it really, uh, well, it's a really World War One type design and it really shows how, uh, I guess, prepared the French were. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think you really just see that they had the idea of the tank just being used as a mobile bunker and not actually a tank that would be used against lighter tanks or faster tanks, just um, kind of like a bunker design, you know. That's a good way of looking yeah, at like, it, yeah. Yo, and I think it also... Like, go ahead. They definitely you, didn't take into account the uh, Germans having turning their 88 flax on them as well. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that tear this thing yeah, I think it's also important, like, it's, the B1 is a good lesson in why, when you're looking at a tank, you can't just consider, like, the hard factors, like, you know, its mobility, its armor, and its armament. You've also got to think of things which are, you know, not as obvious, like how they communicate, or what the visibility from it is like, because this thing did not have good visibility at all. No. Yeah, I think the, um, like, the commander's cupola was, like, You'd, you'd probably call it hand-cranked, but it was. I think the French had this design where you, the commander put his helmet into a slot and then rotated it with his neck. They did have that design, oh. yes. Which, you know, Yikes. nothing like moving 
like maybe a hundred kilos of steel <laughs> using your neck and trying to stop it. We've determined that your injuries are not service related. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, it was pretty good armor, but uh, noting that it also struggles with mobility, wouldn't it just be easy to get around and like shoot from the side? For sure. Yeah. Well, it, like it's really flat on the side there too. Right towards the end of the B1's development, they came up with the BE1, oh. the B1TER, right? So, yeah, this is basically a general improvement over the B1BIS. Uh, does anyone have it in War Thunder? No. No, almost. My friend does. Nice. Yeah. I have no French tanks in War Thunder. That yeah, was French an amazing segue, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, basically, yeah, it's uh, a general improvement, mostly in regards to armor, if I'm correct. The tracks also, I think, I think they're the same, but I think there was a plan to actually change them at one point. Yeah, but in general, the, the, the uh, B1TER was, you know, where the B1 is an incremental improvement over the B1, uh, sorry, the B1BIS is an incremental improvement over the B1 in terms of armament. The uh, B1TER is an improvement over the B1BIS in terms of armor protection. And like you can see on the side, it's got, you know, some more armor plate around the sides, as well as some over the tracks, as well as some over the front. Yeah. Looking at the armor over the tracks and like as the tanker, you'd look at it and go, oh, that's going to be a bitch when we lose the track. And they did lose tracks. They did do that. <laughs> Not unlike the T14. <laughs> Yeah. So oh, actually, the uh, B1TER had an added crew member. Oh, it did? Oh, where? Yeah, I had a crew of five. Uh, city. I don't even know what his job is. They just uh, cram an extra guy into an already cramped tank. Oh, it has two loaders. Oh. Interesting. Oh, so the commander didn't have to do everything in the turret uh, then? Right. Well, well, that would help. I mean, I think. Yeah, I think you'd help load the second. I'm not sure. Well, that was one thing that always plagued the French tanks with one-man turrets, was that their combat effectiveness was really low because the commander had to do everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just seems like just way too much work overload, trying to tell everyone what to do whilst loading and trying to find a target and all of that. Just bollocks to that, eh? Yeah, no thank you. <laughs> Uh, Give me an M5. Oh, yeah. Love M5s. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the tank. Um, mm -hmm. Before we talk about, you know, models and, you know, how the tank fits into the model space, uh, lessons that can be derived from the B1. Get better. Yeah, just don't do this. I don't know. Don't be French. Don't be French. <laughs> Yeah, that's solid, honestly. Cool. Well, speaking of don't be French, I guess we should talk about the models of the B1. Right. So, there are a few of them. That's it. Just taking how beautiful they are. Look at that box art. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I especially like the Italeri box art. 
Yeah, it, you know, that was... I like their uh, 50th scale stuff. It's pretty good. Yeah, but um, there are a few uh, kits for this. So, for instance, we've got... I think the, one of the first uh, model kits actually came out of the B1 was this one by Matchbox. And this is this goes back a little ways. It has the uh, FT-17 and the B1 BIS. I, I remember seeing one guy on Kitmaker making it, and it even came with a little diorama base, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, as far as like small scale goes, there's also the Trumpeter, which apparently, as far as I've heard, is actually a really good uh, kit. I know Night Shift did one. Oh, yeah, as a free French, right? Yes. Oh no! It looks oh, pretty yeah. good. Is that the? Is that the one that he like? Sort of revised. I don't know how to like. He restored it. Oh so. no! That was the KV one. Yeah, that was the KV one. I think, but I think yeah, the trumpeter set had some fitting issues at the hall. So there was a huge gap um, at the front hall, and uh, oh right, one yeah. The... And I think the front plate was kind of inaccurate. I, I can't remember. So there you go. Uh, also, isn't isn't Ravel selling that those Matchbox sets at the moment? They Just, are. Um, yeah. Yeah, they I, are. Yeah, I, I think I think I kind of remember that set with the Chubby One Biz and the Diorama base and the FT17 because I was thinking of getting it one day, but um, I was I wasn't sure about it because you know um, they are quite old. Um, hmm. Uh, Honestly, for how old they are, they're pretty nice. Oh, they're not. I bad, built, they? I built one of the old Matchbox Panzer twos. I was surprised by how nicely detailed. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that uh, uh, Renault set the or the Matchbox set there. That well, I saw it on the Great Hobbies website, but I don't, hmm. I don't know if it was, but it was there. Yeah, I'm trying to think. We. I don't think we have Matchbox anymore. We used to, but now we've got uh, Ravel, so it would have to be yeah, like the Ravel V-Box. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, you know, in small scale, it is a pretty pretty fun tank to do just because you've got all the rivet detail and all that. And the tracks aren't too complicated. And then, of course, if we go up in scale, Atalari makes uh, a B1 BIS in Wargaming that scale. Nice. Yeah. Good camouflage on it. I like the box art. Mm -hmm. And as far as 35th scale goes, I know um, of the Tamiya B1 BIS, and this actually started out <laughs> as a motorized version. or it either started out as a motorized kit or it was later motorized. But basically, there are a lot of features on this kit which are basically intended so that you can put a an electric motor in it and they'll just drive away, which is pretty cool. Yes, to be to end up stuck in a ditch. Yes, it would be a perfect diorama. The real one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I actually ended up... One good thing about French tanks is, like, for model, for modeling, their camos are so varied and just out there. They do, they make really good modeling subjects. Yeah, they're always, you know, really bright and, uh, yeah, they're fun to make. You know, speaking of camouflages, so this <laughs> is that, to me, a model of the uh, B1 BIS. This is a real tank. That's uh, it's modeled after uh, uh, two five three tank two five three, I believe, uh, which was named Fantasque. 
And this was basically a tank where the French army had a program in 1939 where they basically wanted to see if we painted a tank, you know, with if we got actual artists to do a landscape painting of a forest on a tank, would it basically allow it to blend in better with, you know, like as a camouflage? Um, and then you, I, that's what I actually did with this model. And you can see how well that worked once it gets weathered, weathered up and with dud and must on it. Uh, I don't really expect this to fool anybody when it's sitting out in the field. Yeah. Too. Like, oh, there's a small forest over there. <laughs> Hans, why is the forest shooting at us? <laughs> the forest has two guns. Why is the forest speaking French? <laughs> yeah, but... Uh... It'd be it's they would have been better off making it into a bloody um, a barn or something. I don't it looks remember. Looks much more like a barn. Yeah, there was one B yeah. one that was actually just painted red, like you know, almost like red oxide. Why? Ah, uh, I don't know. I think the they crew just, just gave up. I like, think they just literally didn't have time to paint it. They painted it red. I haven't. That's like. Leftover like barn paint or something like that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the to be a one to thirty-five scale kit is good. Um, all you have yeah, to really it looks do, good. all you have to really do is add rivets on the uh, cast uh, gun mount. That's about it. About how long did the camo take you? Three days. Which, you know, like, if you just think of, like, three full modeling sessions just painting, uh, that's long enough. But it was painted mm. oh, with, I like, like, yeah. But it was painted with, like, five-year-old Tamiya acrylics, which were half gummed up. So, there you go. Did you airbrush or brush paint the camo? Uh, I airbrushed the base color, which was, like, uh, kind of a medium green. And I just uh, painted mm. the rest of it. With a brush. Yeah. Nice. I've seen it in person. It's a privilege. Yeah, it's a pretty cool tank. Well, speaking of models, we've got to talk about what we've been getting up to. Oh, yes. Um. Well, this is my AFV Club 135th scale shot cow Dillette. And here you can see it. These pictures are kind of outdated now. But here it is, just base coated. Um, it has decals, a pin wash, a dot filter. Looking pretty good, I think. I'm happy with how it's turned out. Incredible. Yeah, thank you. Like I like the battery ram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the battery that's ram goes the, hard. Mm -hmm. That's on the forum on Kitmaker? Yes. Yeah, I'm posting in this uh, Centurion group. I think it needs more machine guns on top. Yeah, you're kind of missing some there. Yeah, they were all yeah. painted. You know what they're on it now? It needs a crows. Oh. That would, that would be pretty Crow Centurion. That would be awesome. As for what you use for the... Uh, canvas cover on the mantlet because I know a lot of guys were struggling with theirs 
Uh, AFV Club included a really bad rubber mantlet that I glued on there, and then I had to fill because it broke in a few places. Oh, nice. But it's rubber? Yeah, it was rubber. Like a really dense... The same rubber they used for the tracks. Those oh. are rubber tracks? Mm-hmm. Wow, those are good. Yeah, thanks. They Side skirts help a lot. Oh, yeah, definitely. How do you like the AFV Club stuff? Um, It's good. It's pretty detailed, but there's a ton of ejector headlights. Word. Cool. Okay. You were also working on a Stug, weren't you? Yes. The Tamiya one with Tacom Tracks, a uh, Dragon Tools, a bunch of scratch-built metal stuff, the photo etch included in the kit, and a uh, Danger Close box. And that was just... That was actually airbrushed with craft paint. Whoa. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that uh, kit comes with, like, the Aber aftermarket set already in it, right? No, it's Tamiya-branded photo okay. etch. Yeah, it comes with, like, four pieces. Yeah, well, the metal barrel definitely looks nice. Those always yeah, have to use. It has some really nice rifling on the inside. Oh, you got rifling on your metal barrel? I bought a Type 16 metal barrel, and I didn't get anything. I got a smooth mm -mm. board. Ooh. Yeah. But yeah, it's nearly done. I'm um, I'm working on the wet mud effects right now. That box on the back is just base coat. I ended up ripping it off and painting it separately. Looks great, especially having the, de the uh, interior available to see yeah I'll probably put a figure in it and oh and then yeah um, finally the last one is my little Zvezda 1-100 scale KV-1 which I really enjoyed building and painting up it was, it was you know an experience Tried a lot of new weathering techniques. That looks great. Oh, yeah, I can okay. see that. The um, like where it penetrated on the turret. Yeah. What you use for your uh, leaves? Um, I use the knock autumn leaf set. Huh, that looks good. It really in scale. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still amazed how you can do that much detail in that small scale. Mm -hmm. That's not out of the box. I did a bunch of scratch work. Wait, how? Like, yeah. I how are these Vesta kits? Like, you know, they're 1 to 100 scale stuff in general. They're nice. Yeah, yeah for sure. the money, they're nice. Yeah. And what about uh, yeah, the texture? Did you use, like, a Mr. Surfacer or anything on it? I just used um, Tamiya Basic Grape Putty with uh, Acetone. Okay. Yeah, it does not look 1 to 100 scale, that's for sure. Yeah, thank you. 
Okay, on interest, did you did you use an oil dot filter on it? Because it kind of looks like it, but uh, I'm not sure if it would be effective in that scale, or even if it would be too effective in that scale. Um. Yep. I used a dot filter. I used uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, where you use the oil paints to like accentuate different details. Uh, not a, a panel line wash. No. Um. You know where you'll like you'll paint a line on and then blend the line out. Streaking. No. Um, what night shift does like ambient occlusion. That's what oh, okay. yeah, right, right. Um, kind of creating fake shadows. Yeah, yeah, creating fake shadows. Right, exactly. Uh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, I did that. Oh. How did you do the um, planks on the side? Like, it's chipped very nicely. Oh, thank you. I um, I got some little uh, popsicle sticks and sanded them down by hand cut them to the size I wanted, then painted blue on there, and then just sanded it down. Oh, and then put a few, it? Yeah, and just put a few really light washes. So was that actually okay. made out of wood? Yep. And it took like oh, 20 minutes. Of plastic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to get some of that, uh, whatever you used for the leaves, because I'm going to be doing a lot more 1 to 100 scale. Finally. Be the only one kit maker doing it. <laughs> Wolf isn't here, is he? He's here. No, he is. Let's just appreciate his models. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Wolf scale models. Cool guy. He's Very. making a church. That church is destroying it. The Church of Saint Javelin. Oh, drop the. Uh... Up the Instagram in the description. We will, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like his yeah. sandbags. Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say. Does anyone know if the sandbag, uh, sandbags are self-made, like from epoxy putty or milliputter stuff, or are they from? Does anyone know if he used a kit part for it, like um, resin stuff? Oh man, I'm I, guessing he probably did it himself. I, mean, I was gonna say he like, usually does it yeah. himself. Yeah, considering the stuff on the back of the tank, it's probably epoxy pud. Yeah, you can probably you can ask him. He's in uh, he's in the server and he's the group chat. Everybody, ping oh. him right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he's gonna put that diorama when he's done with it though, because that church is tall. Right. That whitewash he did is looks pretty good as well. Mm-hmm. Ezra, can you use the uh, dollar store craft paint for whitewashes? Does it work well? Uh, no, because it's really grainy. Oh. Yeah. I only what use do you the... use for... Go ahead. Oh, no. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask what you use. Oh, for whitewashes? Yeah. Um, I'll use Pataka paints or Vallejo. And then just the Tresemme Ultra Fine Hairspray. Mm, nice. Mm. Callum, what do you use? I generally use um, Tamiya um, enamels. Then oh, okay. just uh, use a brush and just, um, you know, with a bit of thinner and just scrub it away. Hmm. Yeah, the enamels Works are pretty, pretty useful. Well. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to really make sure that if you're using... Uh, 
enamel on enamel to you know put a few clear coats underneath because I have forgotten more than once and scrubbed away. Yeah, whitewash base. Yeah, I've done that before. Mm -hmm. That was real stupid. <laughs> Nothing like spending so much time and then say, like, "Oh, look, I've got to redo this." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I guess this was another uh, thing he's been working on in M113 from Ezra. Was uh, the uh, chocolate chip used in the full, in the first Gulf War? I think so. Yeah, it'd have to be, wouldn't it? I know it's OIF. Yeah, but... Chalky chip camel. We all like that. Oh, who doesn't? Yeah. So detailed, wow. The overspray on the uh, Chevron. I know this was a uh, diorama he had just finished. Right. Is that uh, just um, like the craft moss as camo? I don't think so. A little craft I like moss. the stuff that you used on your caribou. Yeah, I mean, craft moss is definitely really. Uh, useful especially if you mix it with like uh, water and pva you can separate mm -hmm. it from its uh strands and just really really get it into scale and then if you add stuff like you know little leaves to it it looks pretty good sure the way you soak it in water and pva or yeah i basically just mix uh water and pva and then dunk the moss in it and then that allows you to actually like position it on the vehicle to add kind of like a, a look of weight to it. So that's always good. Right. Uh, and then it's not so brittle or anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is just what I'm working on right now. Uh, just finished the uh, Atalari 1 to 30 second scale uh, CF-104D. I was uh, t I was talking with you guys earlier about using Alclad paints. Um, it's a pretty good alternative to bare metal foil. If aircraft or what you're into. And then I'm working on a uh, Hasegawa 1 to 48th scale F2A, which is basically the uh, Japanese version of the F16. Yeah. And I, uh, basically, the, you know, the big thing right now is uh, 3D printing. So getting the resin printer up and going and actually doing stuff with it, mostly 1 to 100 scale, but also now a, a 35th scale N-Law. And that AV monstrosity. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the poor man's BMPT. <laughs> yeah. The priest is nice. The three D printing. Works. Callum, what are you working on? Uh, so that that one's a uh, that one's the Tesca thirty fifth scale uh, jumbo. Uh, that's currently. I've basically built the entire model except for the tracks. I haven't done anything for that because I still need to do the uh, diorama base for it. So I'll do the tracks at the same time, make it try and fit in. But that was actually using the AK um, Olive Drab modulation set. Nice. Well, How do you like tried that? To. It, it, it's actually pretty good. Eh? It's, um, yeah, I just basically went from the bottom up just... Uh, using the different shades uh, and then uh, after that it looked a little bit too monotone um, so what I did was I just got various shades of the olive drab on a um, wet palette 
and then just kind of splattered it all over the tank and then blended it in just to try and make it a bit more um i don't know weathered distorted yeah that's a good idea not so much of a flat gray uh flat green and then this is the first time i tried to do like damage so like you can see on the front and on the mantlet following Mm. night shifts um tutorial how did you do the uh texturing on the overhold there uh, that was with uh, Tamiya Putty and Extra Thin. So, really? Yep, just uh, just And it got that, that little... That's how you got the like dot effect there? Yeah, not sure how that happened. I think, I'm, uh, I think oh. it just dried a bit quickly. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> was uh, accidental. It looks nice. It almost looks a bit like, you know, mud's being thrown up on, just like a light layer of mud. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like the uh Tasca kit? It was really it was really well detailed. Um the suspension is uh workable. Oh, they've yeah. got a nice they've got a nice detail because the uh jumbo they just slapped on whole lot of armor onto an existing Sherman. It made the uh suspension sit really down low, especially on the front. And they've actually got it so when you're building the bogies, they give you a sheet of rubber. And you cut and add rubber to it to actually form the um, suspension for how high you want it to sit. Then that way, in the front one, you can make it sit. You can make actually make it sit lower. Oh, that's um, cool. You know, same to the um, just like the real tank. You know, it sat sat lower down, and the front particularly was pointing downwards because that suspension was literally at its limit. So you can actually model that. So was, angling. Yeah, so it's the, actually, uh, they turned the jumbo into a Sharby one. <laughs> No suspension. <laughs> no, I think the uh, the actual jumbo the uh, their instruction their instructions was don't take it off road because it ain't because <laughs> the suspension was literally at its limit on flat ground. So I was trying to model that into it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What were the tracks? Um, Indie links. Nah, uh, rubber. They're rubber tracks. They're pretty well detailed for uh, rubber tracks. Yeah, they look yeah, good. They're pretty good. The duck yeah. especially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the stowage, I like the uh, whatever string you used for it. That looks really good. <laughs> that was just off... Um, that was a drawstring from curtain, from a set of curtains that I've replaced. I literally went around the really? whole house going, I need something for the rope, and it was doing... That was during lockdown, where I couldn't huh. leave my house. So I was like, I can't go out and buy anything. What am I going to use? What am I going to use? So I went around the entire house. I was like, oh, this will do. Stripped it down to try and make it thinner. I still get comments going, oh, that the rope's out of scale. It's like, I know, but it's what I had at the time. <laughs> Honestly, it doesn't look that out of scale. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. No, it's nice. Well, then, well. Improvise, then again, adapt, the, overcome. Yeah. I mean, those were the comments from Reddit, so, you know. You know it's going to be good. Reddit doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Nah. Actually, um, which uh, is it a figure from Masterbox or is it a resin figure? Or is it plastic or? No, that's uh, a mini art one. That's their oh, um, close quarters one. I've got mm-hmm. a. Uh, so I'm trying. So I got their uh, flesh tones kit as well to get better at figure painting. And then when I painted that guy first up, he. Uh, he looked like Freddy Krueger in cosplay, just the way I modeled, <laughs> I painted his face. Uh, I had to do it again. 
there's a photo on my Instagram of it. It looks terrifying. I, I don't oh. like <laughs> yeah, it looks good though. Many art knows yeah. their figures. Yeah, many many um, in my opinion, one of the best plastic um figure producers. But somehow they sometimes manage to get them a little small. I don't know if you compare them to other figures, especially resin ones. They're always kind of small in comparison. For but sure. if you just use one figure on the tank, it's it's totally fine. But if you want to mix figures and different companies, um, using mini art, they always uh, tend to look a little bit out of scale, just a little bit too small. But if you just use one figure or only mini art figures, it's all fine. Yeah. Yeah, he does look the machine gun. Yeah, his hands didn't actually fit the uh, machine gun as well, so I've had to modify that one a bit. Hmm. And actually, that tarp that you see next to him, I just made that out of uh, paper and dipped it in uh, MAC varnish. Yeah, yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Yeah. And for the uh, star on the side of the turret, did you basically just, like, paint over that with, like, almost a sponge? No, that's how the decal comes in the kit. Oh, really? That's how it actually... Really? Yeah, that, that's the decal, yeah. It gives you oh. a selection of three, each one being more more and more deteriorated. The the uh, third one is basically like forty percent of the star left. Yeah, that's really hmm. cool. That's yeah, that, that's, a great idea. Yeah, it was actually pretty cool that one. Yeah, Tasca seems to do some interesting stuff with their kits that you don't see other manufacturers doing. Yeah, yeah. like the um, on this one as well, the rear exhaust you can actually fold up or down compare. Um, I've actually mold, the way you build it, it actually moves. As huh. well. Yeah, you can actually put it up or raise it up or down depending on how you want it in the situation. Hmm. Nice. And then I, your are those uh, bricks the ones from the Tamiya set? Yeah, yeah, that's going to be part of the diorama. Of course, I got about five hedgehog traps to paint, and two yeah. other fig, two other Tamiya figures. Yeah, what do you think you're going to do as far as like weathering is concerned for the bricks? Are you going to be doing anything for those? Uh, they're, they're weathered at the moment. You know, just doing like filters and yeah. washes and then it's just got a bit of oil paint on it. They're basically done. Done now, so yeah. They look good. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of the bricks, uh, bricks um, are you going to model the plaster in between the bricks or just going to leave it off? Not sure. I haven't decided that yet. Okay. Yeah, because everyone seems to have their own technique for doing that, so I just was interested in what you would use if you would edit. I'm, I'm still learning how to do dioramas and making things look realistic. Okay, sure, yeah. No problem. <laughs> Guys, you can buy... A 172nd scale um, XF85 Goblin. Really? Yeah. Really? Who makes it? Yeah. Um, this company called 12 Squared and. Um, 144? No, um, <laughs> 172nd scale. Oh, there we go. Oh, uh, <laughs> Is it uh, resin? I, uh, plastic. Really? Whoa. Hmm. Oh man! How many uh, goblins did the B thirty six carry 
I think I think it could carry two. I'm not sure. Well, now you're going to you... have to add the May. I know. Should I have Should I have one hanging out of the bomb bay? I think you should have one hanging out of the bomb bay, and then use like some plastic rod to show one that's like literally just being dropped. That'd be cool. Ooh, yeah. I can't find a picture of one in a B thirty six bomb bay. I can only find one in a B twenty nine. Jack, what have you been I... working on? Well, this is my turpets. I talked about it in the last episode too, but this is. Uh, I just decided to nab all the pictures from Kitmaker and show the process because I talked about it before, but it's a lot easier with pictures. So maybe I could go over it again. But yeah. this is my this is my unique approach to doing a custom balsa deck on my turpets. Uh, I started with the uh, just scribing planks into. It's two sheets of balsa taped together to make it wide enough. Uh, and I printed off some photocopied, like a photocopied version of this plastic deck onto the balsa one. Uh, shaded all of the uh, detail in, so leaves an imprint. Then I had to cut this plastic away from the rest of the uh, rest of the ship there. And I did. I actually did that part at school with a coping saw in my <laughs> shop class. And there's a hacksaw in the background too. I used that for some straight cuts. But it looked really nice when I was done. I was like actually really impressed by the outcome there. And then the last one is just me super gluing details back on. Uh, and that's basically where the uh, where that sits for now. Uh, <clears throat> I'll have to glue it into the hull soon because I also have some metal struts that I also did at school. So, yeah, it's all coming together. Nice. And... That's a really unique way of doing it. That's for sure. It looked really good. I remember you showed me uh, pictures at, at the uh, hobby store and it, it's definitely coming along. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It. Uh, and on the next slide... Um, oh that's god! Getting to work on the photo etch. Oh god! <laughs> oh no! Yeah. That looks painful. It is painful, especially that turret bit there. That mm -hmm. little tiny AA gun was so tedious. That took me an hour just to do that turret, and that's not even oh. detailed, right? Now. Oh jeez! That's yeah. just giving me a headache just thinking of that one. You know, the worst thing for me is yeah. the uh, railings. I don't know how you got those on, man. So that rail, that piece with the railings there, uh, that is the first of four platforms that stack no. on top of each other, all no. with railings. Oh. Yeah. Oh. It's... Isn't that yeah. Ravel? Because I know Ravel did a set like that. Oh, this is a Tamiya one. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's the Tamiya turpets with the um, Edward photo etch and then whatever mm -hmm. scratch build stuff I was doing in the last slide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how that's coming. Uh, 
looks good. That's for yeah. sure. Oh yeah, it does. It does. Uh, Jack, what's this? Is this actually um part of the turpits? Because it yeah, looks that's like a barn. Part of the it it does look like a barn, but it uh goes like on the sides and on each of those. I don't know how to describe it, like scaffolding pieces. You put like a lifeboat on each of them. Oh, okay. Do you know what it is? Yeah. Because I'm not sure what it I... is. I'm just modeling it. Because <laughs> I think I know what it might be. I think because it kind of looks like the plane hangar. So if you fold the wings of the planes, they could go. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Because there's this door right here. Yeah, you got okay. like a little door to access right. the plane. This probably could fold up. That though. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I then think they the should plane... have a crane nearby. Yeah, right? there's a crane nearby that I also okay. did, and then there's also like a rail planes to sit in mm -hmm. when they're in service. Yeah, it probably mm -hmm. is a hangar. That makes, makes sense. sense to me. These are planes look good as well as the boats. Yeah. Yeah. So the boats go on top, and the planes go in there, I guess. Yeah, that huh. would make sense because you've almost got like the outline of the uh, hull on each side. Yeah, and that's a little bit blurry of a picture, but those are two planes, four boats, uh, and there's two barns, one on each side. All of this stuff is symmetrical. I got to do duplicates of everything. Nice. Mm. Takes I think me quite like having something to look uh, forward to. Yeah. Takes me back to when I was doing the uh, Yamato and there was like 24 AAA turrets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, well, that's definitely going to turn out well, I'd say. Yeah, I hope so. Absolutely. Actually, I've got a question. Um, For the planes, does the kit contain decals like for the crosses and stuff or do you have to hand paint them? Uh, I'm pretty sure the kit comes with decals, yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not too sure. Like I'm like eighty percent sure it comes with decals, but if I had to mm -hmm. paint them, oh no. <laughs> yeah, to me, a three fifty scale stuff. You, if it has aircraft, it usually does include the insignia for them as decals. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because the uh, I've also got an Enterprise that I'm also pretty scared to start, and it comes with decals for all the planes. Nice. <laughs> yeah, just because I imagine painting um, the crosses on them with a fine brush would be uh, a headache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how that's going. Nice. I'm excited for it. Actually, I'm 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 really looking forward to seeing more progress of this one. Yeah. Yeah, I'll keep you all posted. Yeah, and anyone who doesn't know, you can follow um, Jack's build blog on Kitmaker Network. Yeah, I just got started on Kitmaker recently, uh, and I've been posting more and more pictures to it. I'll I'll post some more photo etch updates to that uh, probably later this afternoon once we stop recording. Uh, but yeah. Beautiful. And I started working on my M5 finally yesterday after taking a trip to the uh, Canadian War Museum, uh, just seeing it in person. Uh, started putting the kit together yesterday and 
Uh, it's going to be probably going to be in the uh, Great Canadian Campaign group build on Kitmaker. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, but here are some reference pictures. I don't know, just some ideas. The one on the left is like a Fourth Armor Division uh, scout car there, or scout tank, scout vehicle. It's a light tank. Mm -hmm. uh yeah so maybe i'll uh get some decals from dennis and his uh small business autoloader.com is it Auto uh, yeah autoloader decals you can find basically it's at this point it's just through my kit maker profile but yeah um if you want uh next time you're in the store i'll bring you some of those uh fourth armored division markings if you want Okay, yeah, we'll uh, keep in touch about that. I'll, um, yeah, we'll see how far this project goes because I've also got my big side project. So, yeah, let, I'll keep in contact about that. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool to do uh, the tank on the left. You, you see all the stowage and it's got, like, it looks, you know, a bunch of uh, tree branches on that. That'd be pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. See, the thing with that is I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Dollarama Moss, man. Dollarama Moss. How are you finding the kit? I've built this one uh, previously. It's, like, it's a pretty good kit. How are you finding it? Yeah, I'm liking it so far. It's it's really nice. It's, uh, I don't know, everything fits great. Uh, and especially like the bogeys and the, like how the undercarriage all fits together. It's really nice. I was uh, pressuring Jack to, before he decided to do you know the tank with the turret, I was pressuring him to do more of the uh, reconnaissance M5A1s that were from the Canadian Army in uh, Italy and Northwestern Europe, where they basically just like took the turret off. But yeah, I think it's going to look really nice like this. And good yeah. that you were able to get reference photos. Yeah, I found them on uh, this... I don't know, website, uh, military history books, just, I don't know. It was just a website just with a bunch of pictures of M5s, which was cool. Nice. I know. Uh, just a photo. Dump. Ezra, you, you actually posted a link to this in the server, but there's a Canadian author, uh, Harold Scarup, and he was a member of the Canadian forces, but he like runs a website now and he's, he's an author primarily, but for like basically every tank that was in Canadian service and every aircraft, he's got like a bunch of reference photos for it. Oh yeah. Wait, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah, yeah. If you want, I'll send you the link to it later. But it, like, I remember when I was working on the Centurion, like I got all my reference photos from his website. He's got some really great stuff, and uh, he's actually also written like a short history on each of them, which is really nice. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you'd have to show me. It does a lot of like the uh, modern and, and uh, Cold War Canadian armor as well. So things like the M1. That's Maple Dew Heaven. Yeah. Yeah, literally. <laughs> One of us has to build that. Um, oh, is it a Firefly with the corrugated iron armor? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, that one. That'd be cool. Do some rust effects on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Word. Uh, let me see. Is there any other slides here? Ah, that's it. Um, does anybody else want to give any updates as to uh, works in progress? 
Well, I mean, um, I could talk about a diorama, but I'm basically finished with it, so not yeah, much work in progress. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it was here. Huh? Right, so um, I probably, I guess you all have seen um, that one or one or two pictures, which I sent on the web channel um, about the one 135th scale diorama. I got more pictures on my Instagram, but I didn't post them on the web because we're basically finished, so it's not a wood anymore. Um, what is missing is sign. You know, I wanted to add like a metal plate um, on the front with the mm. name of the diorama. Oh, um, yeah. So, Actually, if you take it seriously, it's not finished, so it might be still co considerable as a whip. Well, you know what I'll um, do is um, I'll, I'll link your Instagram in the description, and I'll also like, do uh, picture posts on our channel for all our subscribers to see with uh, yeah, any work-in-progress photos you want to show us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah. Metal plates, um, though. Do you have like a, like a, a plaque shop near you? um i've got one which makes um those signs for door door signs and um they also have metal plating and i wanted to see whether or not it will be possible to kind of um get a diorama name on them because i don't think it will be a big deal um but i have to look into that so if not um i might need to order it online somewhere but um yeah i i haven't looked too much into it yet because i think the Door sign shop will do it, probably. Um, yeah. Um, what I want to talk about. Yeah, what's funny about the diorama is um, I started it on, I think, March 8th, um, 2021. And I know this because this was, um, it was the first time I took um, a picture. Um, I was just comparing two LMGs, like one which came with a set for half track and one which I got um, from an aftermarket set, basically just mm. the Tamiya. Um, weapon set which they sell and um, this, it was the first time I really got started on a project and I finished this project on March 8, 2022 so it took me exactly a year well not exactly because um, I was working on other projects um, along the along the way like um, I think a World War One diorama on one second six scale and also um, these 1 to 100 um, group build models which we did but mm. um, Apart from that, I was just, um, I wasn't working every day on it because, you know, you get tired. Um, if you just work on diorama every day and all, yeah. But, um, yeah, it took me quite a while to finish. So I would say, um, only taking into consideration the days where I actually worked on it, maybe like half a year, maybe even a bit longer, like seven or eight months, but, um, actually a pretty long time. Um, I think I spent most of the time painting all the figures because um, I was trying to make them as good as possible while still finishing them in a considerable considerable amount of time. So like, um, I wanted to finish them all, I think, in like three months. And mm -hmm. It took me like four, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, so a long time. But um, I was getting into face painting, to figure painting, paint flash, highlights. Um, I was using a set from AK, but um, by that time, I didn't know you ha actually have to mix the paints. I was just using the base color as a base coat, and it was really brownish looking. And then I right. used the mid one for the, yeah, for the more, more present highlights, and then the last one for the fine details. And um, it was just a mishmash of brownish and 
lighter colors. So um, yeah, uh, I didn't know you had to mix them, but mm. um, I figured it out along the way. I think while I was painting some of my figures, which go into the half truck, which were the last ones I painted, I actually got it kind of figured out, and they look more like flash and not like just um, I don't know. They were looking like uh, like darker color people, like with brownish skin tone but not too dark but just like when you're coming back from a summer holiday but then they have really weird lines on the skin which is lighter color which didn't it, it didn't look good at all but, yeah well we all learn i guess um yeah the figures were pretty pretty fun um but i got tired of painting figures while painting i think it was about 20 figures um Jeez. i got tired at some point um sure yeah and the half tracks took a really long time. Um, I think I was, I think I was fo kind of following Nightshift's approach on the soldier. Um, you know, the small tank hunter with two barrels. Um, oh yeah. But yeah. I didn't do, yeah. 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 I wanted to add ambient occlusion, you know, um, shadows and fake highlights and stuff, but I was too lazy for that. So I just used all that filters, washes, um, Chipping, rust tones, um, mud effects. Um, yeah, that's basically it. I think um, along the way, I actually, I, I really intended to make a smaller diorama, but then I ended up getting more and more stuff to it, like a car. I didn't intend on building a car, but then I wanted to have a red car on the sidewalk because it's kind of empty. Then I bought the luggage set from Miniart, um, hmm. had coffins and what's it called? suitcases suitcases and um, um, boxes and all that kind of stuff so um, that took some time to paint I had some resin boxes like wooden boxes which I also painted so getting all of these details out of the way was also it took like two months maybe so um, yeah it was the most of the time it was just painting details which really got um, boring at some points but uh, I'm I'm just glad I did it because they really look good in the end. So um, yeah, yeah, that's about my whiskey diorama. And I got the you know you mentioned it earlier the ugly looking Sherman. Which I don't know if you can call it the Sherman, but the um, <laughs> crap color firefly thing. Um, I think I wrote it in the group chat. Um, I got the idea from Willis and Doodles on Instagram, and I looked in the comments and someone said a scale model should build a model of it. And I was like, yep, that's going to be me. So, um, <laughs> but I, I was I was kind of broke at that moment. So I had like 30 bucks and I didn't want to make it a huge project, like one for the first scale. I was looking for one second, second scale kits. And um, I went to a model shop and I got all these small, you know, these vintage classic um, epic sets. And, yeah. Um, you know, uh, exactly. So I just used them and um, they were actually pretty good. If you consider the age and um, or how long they've been selling these sets, and um, I think they they're quite nicely detailed for scale. Um, the only one which is not a vintage uh, vintage classic is the Firefly, um, because well they never actually did a Firefly if I remember correctly, and um, one of the latest sets was Firefly, so I just took that one obviously. And it has a lot of like a lot of nice details. Um, also includes like small ammo canisters for the energy and stuff. So it's actually mm. really detailed. Um, 
Yeah, and that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, I got some chipping done, washes, and uh, next would be probably oil paints. And then I just see what I want to add, like modifieds, dust. The crap thing should be um, pretty dusty. Um, I'm thinking of making it like like in a spinning motion, like it would actually um, be used at that time. So the place should really look like they're spinning. Um, and I intended on using a real chain to, for that, but obviously I wouldn't be able to make the spinning motion with uh, a small chain. And I found yeah. photo edge um, chains. So I'm kind of interested in using them because I think that might work because just from a photo set, so you can just bend them however you want, any shape you want. And uh, yeah, that's interesting. That will be, but I think I keep that to the very end because um, I'm uncertain whether or not it would look good. Uh, we'll just see. We'll just see about that. But yeah, that's about my whoops. Um, nothing more fancy going on. I'm kind of I'm kind of building the um, Sherman thing and a, a Churchill tank at the same time because it wasn't <clears> the, <throat> the, the Churchill tank which I stole the uh, trailer from. And I'm just go going to look whether or not it looks good on a Churchill tank. And then I'm going to play, apply the same methods on my, the same techniques on my um, Sherman because I don't <laughs> want to mess it up. That makes sense. But that's about it, uh, I would say. Nice. nice. Oh yeah, and is your is that one one hundred dio finished? I can't remember. think it. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I fin I finished it on. Um. I got some pictures on my Instagram, but I can also post some on here if you want. Um. I wanted to finish uh, to finish it before I worked on my um, before I restarted working on my one fifty scale diorama because I had a right. lot of um stuff going on, so I wanted to finish this one, and mm -hmm. then I would. Start working on all the other stuff again, and so it's it's finished. But it also took some time, actually, more than I expected. But um, usually, because I thought one to one hundred scale models will be easy and fast to paint, <laughs> but actually quite the opposite because it's so tiny. You just need to. Yeah, I, th I think uh, I speak for everyone here when I say you really need to um, be careful. When you paint the models, because uh, you could do so much wrong and it would look, just look awful. Yeah, especially dipping and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah, you really need uh, to take your time. Yeah, that's something I didn't uh, actually consider before putting three of them. Actually, it's funny. This whole podcast really started because of that Instagram build. Yeah, actually. Oh yeah, hundred percent. We, we are the Micro Machines podcast after all. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. With the micro machines. But I must <laughs> say, the 100 models are actually a lot of fun, and you can really. I was just having fun with the models and just testing out new stuff, which I didn't consider or didn't want to try on other models because I thought I would mess them up or stuff. So right. They were just test pieces, basically, um, which was quite fun. Yeah, because you one, just do whatever you want. One to 100 scale is definitely. Uh... Definitely not something that I think most people would necessarily do, but it's actually really fun. And yeah, with you know three D printing with resin printers, it's actually becoming like a lot more. How do I say? It? It's like becoming a lot more you know well developed as a scale in the hobby. 
because now right. it's not like you're just buying, you know, Zvezda kits. You can actually find basically any tank in existence. And, you know, if you've got a little bit of patience, you can actually print them off and get lots of good detail with them. Mm-hmm. Speaking of 3D printing, you don't design the tanks yourself, do you? Me? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I'm working I, right now on uh, N-Law, just like modifying that for printing. And mm -hmm. uh, I think I will be designing some uh, contact ERA bricks, though. As just the guy I talked oh. to, if you want to design a tank, because uh, I know he I, he actually does three D modeling. Yeah, I'm still you know trying to figure out how to do it well, but um... yeah. A uh, pro tip from the micro machines: if you have the means, go bother somebody with a, a resin printer and make them print off uh, one to one hundred scale tanks for you. For sure. I'm knocking on your door, Dennis. In this weather? Man, you must really want it. Oh. Yeah, I gotta get that 1-100 scale kit. I don't, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I don't know, Dennis. Did you see that? You can print off, off of that same guy's list of tanks. He has 1-100 scale wasps. Yes, I saw that. I've got a 35th scale uh, Canadian wasp, so I've got to do like 1-100 to and 35th. And do a buddy build. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have that 1100 stug diorama, and I'm making my 135 stug diorama. Yeah, because I remember uh, seeing you posting pictures to the Instagram of that uh, stug diorama. I was like, man, I could do all of this in a day. I could paint it and do a diorama for it in a day if I was really stupid about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1 to 100 scale is great if you don't really have the patience for bigger stuff. Right. Yeah, but uh, resin printers are fun. My um, uh, in-law just printed. Yeah, send some pictures to us. Yes, yeah, so as soon as we're done, I'm going to actually take... Uh, well, first I got to wash it and then remove the supports, but yeah, I am definitely going to. I've got like five people on Kitmaker who are like, spamming <laughs> at the mouth. Yeah, they, they, these guys are just crazy. They're going to they're gonna have a stroke or something if I don't give them some in-law soon. Right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. That and the javelin. Yeah. Wait, just just to be clear, hopefully we didn't record the talk about the piracy, right? What? What piracy? Did, did, yeah, what piracy? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, you, you, you have no faith in my uh, cold openings. Well, yes. At this point. <laughs> yeah but uh cool anyone got any like anything that you want to say any shout outs any uh, ads any messages for the uh wide world of the internet same as last time join kitmaker follow our instagrams uh send us free kits yes uh, if you Everyone want, say I, address I will post our to. address to the YouTube comments. Uh, feel free to send us kits <laughs> to that. Please don't send us anthrax. Uh, yeah. Send, send anthrax in the kits. <laughs> yeah. Ship me jelly beans. Do that. Send us T-72s. Anthractors. Yeah. yeah I, I we do have one little bit of merchandise as well, which I own. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we've got lucky. 
Yeah, yes. we have one mug. One mug. <laughs> one mug for the entire group. We're going to sell that mug as an NFT. <laughs> it's I'm just... exclusive now. <laughs> now we should do it as a uh, traveling mug. We'll just send it to each other in each podcast. Someone else is drinking out of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's very <laughs> COVID friendly. Oh. Well, we did a thing. Okay. We got through a second episode. Are we cancelled yet? No. Uh, no, I don't think we were super offensive. I mean, unless you're a French person, but. Well, yeah, but I mean, come on. Person, we could have been yeah, a lot more <laughs> Okay, never mind. <laughs> God, guys, cancelled <laughs> somehow. Yeah. <laughs> we will find that subject. Yes, we would. And, and what do we think about doing next week if we survive after this? Huh? Not so- something that isn't French. <laughs> uh, Churchill or Gag Tiger. Or... We haven't done anything modern yet. True. Oh yeah, go go buy a one thirty fifth scale cope cage off of uh, Colts three D. Yes, you can do that now. Ten bucks, money well spent. Oh yes, one piece to the uh, guy who made the cope cage and one piece on uh, Colts. The gentleman from Micro Machines salute you. Yes, we do. You know what we should do next week? The uh, Ajax IFE, the tank, the uh, tank that gives its crew a concussion and can't go off road. Oh yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Sounds good. Oh, yeah, what was dude. that? One sec. Um, what about that British tank from World War Two, where if the driver like had his head sticking up out of the hatch, the gun would hit him in the head. Oh, the uh, Valiant. Yeah, the Valiant. Uh, yeah, the Valiant. Where you literally have to cut your leg off in order to get exactly. out of the driving position. <laughs> uh huh. That thing was actually used by as a teaching tool of right students. Look at this. Here's how uh, not to do it. Right. You find everything it. wrong with it. Held... Yeah. Yeah, it's the British tank exclusively driven by amputees. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well. Next week, we are going to be doing an episode where we collectively make fun of the British. Fun. It's Wonderful. It's fun. about time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, goodbye, everyone. Have fun working on your Bye. Yeah, see you. Right. I've, I've got to go to work now, so see ya. <laughs> hey, have fun at work. Yeah. I will not. <laughs> I have to die of heat stroke.